I'm so sorry for the length of this post. It's enormous. I actually have to split it into two because I watched Harry Potter. <laughs> and apparently that's a way to get more uh, yeah. content. It's I'm also going to start being transphobic. But that's mm. f- another thing. <laughs> I'm a turf. Ooh. I had to Google what that meant, but... Yeah. Not great. No. It's not grass. It's not grass at all. Yeah. For better or for worse, the end has finally come. I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) After I post the other half of this update in a few days, I will never speak of these events again. I have lost far too much, and it hurts me too deeply to continue. It has been a long time since I've talked about my fiancé and the events surrounding our vacation at her parents' cabin in Colorado, but I think enough time has passed. I've finally unearthed the secrets of Jose's family that they've been trying to hide from me for years. This subreddit has been remarkably supportive, so even though what I'm about to tell you is deeply personal... I got You helped me get this far, so you deserve to know what I found. We moved two weeks ago. I got a new job, so we find uh, we found a new place in a few towns over that's only an hour drive from our old place. It's the same distance from phase work, but in the opposite direction. Oh, okay. Um, as if by the law of horror film cliches, the strange activity has plagued us at night and has ceased entirely for a week when we moved into our new place. However, it started up again after a while, just as I feared it might. Our new home, however, oh, our new home has not yet been blessed by Angela when the activity started up again. She is the daughter of the Shoshone tribal leader who saged and blessed our home a few weeks prior. The imposter, or uh, at an anotogkua. Yeah, I'm not going to give that one a shot, because I know my own limitations. (laughs) The imposter has not given up on Jose. Its game is to wear us down until we just give up. I had a Skype uh, chat set up with Mason. (laughs) I had a Skype. I had a Skype. (laughs) Fucking hell. I had a Skype. I had a Skype chat set up with Mason's mom. Uh... I had a Skype chat set up with Mason's very reticent mother, but per No Sleep's warnings, I waited until after we moved. The fear was that Laura might divulge something over Skype that the imposter could use against us. The more it discovers about us, the more closely it can mimic me and any of Mason's family members, living or dead. When he is asleep, Mason is highly susceptible to suggestion. That's how I... Got us to do anal. <laughs> um, I only have a butt. I was going to say, I just realized that <laughs> after I said it, <laughs> I was like, wait, in this situation, it would only be one. Um, anyway, uh, the running uh, hypothesis No Sleep has developed is that there are certain things the imposter needs to know about Faye Mason in order to fully infiltrate him, to control him, to kill him. We don't really know what it plans to do with him. But we What's do know that color? it is uh, red. What was? How long could you keep a neo what is pet your, alive? What is your mother's maiden name? <laughs> Just trying to get into her bacon remission. What's your social security number? But we do know that it is especially curious about the significance of the number five. Which I've been Mason trying drew. to reach you about your car's warranty. <laughs> which Mason drew on a window while sleepwalking. 
he gets agitated anytime five is brought up, but cannot coherently explain why. I think that once it learns the meaning of the number, it will have full access to Mason and will be able to do whatever it plans uh, to do with him. I sat on the couch with my laptop and Skyped Laura around 10 p.m. one night in our new place, about half an hour after Mason had fallen asleep. I had to be extremely aggressive in order to break Laura's wall of lies about her family past. <laughs> Listen, you bitch! Christ. I like I like the alternate where the universe where this guy's just gone batshit. Yeah. And is like, tell me, tell me who. And she's like, I don't. What's happening? What is what? I thought you just wanted to talk about her birthday. <laughs> yeah. And just when she seemed ready to crack, Mason walked out of the bedroom. We now live in a one-story house. It was dark in the hall, so he scared the shit out of me when I saw movement out of the corner of my eye. He stood there in the shadows, rigid and still. His entire body was stiff. The head of his penis was... <laughs> this is just fan fiction. Uh, her, his head was craned all the way back in a painful position. His chin pointed at the ceiling, and his arms were straight up in the air in a hallelujah gesture. <laughs> That's a uh, that's a uh, my watch got caught on my my, my <laughs> headphone cable. That's a that's a that's a, the, a touchdown gesture, not a hallelujah. Right. Hallelujah, uh, you have some Ben doing a touchdown. You're yeah, like, um, he hadn't sleepwalked in a while now, so I immediately told Laura I'd call her back and jumped up. Mason shushed me and wiggled his fingers, arms still outstretched. He looked like a praying mantis in repose. I asked Mason, "What is it?" He smiled and replied. Did you know about her? He closed his hands, and one of her, his fingers pointed at the ceiling. I said I didn't know what he was talking about and asked, What? No, what? I looked up at the ceiling and saw nothing. Mason paused. He typically pauses for long periods between sentences while sleep-talking, and then said, Ah, there's an old woman up there. She lives in the attic. She's so she's so nice. And also, she remembered my birthday. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. I'm busy. We just moved. I... I'm sleepwalking. I can't hear you. I'm sleepwalking. I'm just telling you that she remembered my birthday and oh someone didn't. I'm going to get you something. Just wait. Shoo, sleepwalking. Can't hear you. My skin crawled. It felt like insects skittering under my clothes when she said that. When he said that. Mason says a lot of disturbing things, and I've grown used to it. I just think we can eat them. But occasionally, he still surprises me. I asked him more about this old woman, and he said, Oh, she sleeps right above her bed. Mason brought his arms down to his sides, and, mus and his muscles relaxed. He stopped answering my questions. I walked him back into the bedroom and gently tucked him in. That night, I lay awake in the dark, staring up at the ceiling, imagining the corpse of an old woman stuck up inside the drywall or dangling from the rafters in the attic. I couldn't shake the feeling that our unwanted guest had moved in with us and was now pretending to be a friendly stranger to trick Mason. That night, I dreamed of a dark stain spreading itself across the ceiling in the shape of a large man, just like the vomit stains in our old house a few weeks prior. As I was falling asleep, I thought I heard something heavy dragging itself around up there. Jose's mother. <laughs> Laura called the following evening Jose wasn't home from work yet So we had a good hour long conversation Before things got uncomfortable I What had are you wearing? A lot of... <laughs> That's what you... She's like I'm your mother Jose's mom stop She asked that to me Oh, oh. <laughs> um, uh, I, had, I had to spend a lot of time Getting her back into the emotional space Where she could open up about her daughter and went about her son, and when she finally did, I was astonished. It felt like the first time Laura had ever told me the truth. 
that lying bitch about anything. I don't have any proof that she was being honest, but I could hear it in her voice. It is true that Jose was five years old when she when he developed his unusual sleeping disorder, but the number five does not symbolize that. No, it goes a lot deeper. As I've mentioned before in, pre- in the previous update, Jose's parents lied to me and told me that he had been visiting the cabin in Pine Peaks regularly throughout his life until he was 13, so, you know, six, seven, eight years. And yet, Jose claimed he had never been there before. I'm just sorry, I'm turning, I'm starting to do a Tucker Carlson thing. <laughs> yeah. So why is it that Jose claimed Good evening. <laughs> he'd never been there before? Curious, isn't it? Um, this is anyway. what the left doesn't want you to know. In reality, Jose is actually a very nice guy. In reality, Jose went there a few times as a child, but his last visit was at the age of five. He had he and his father, Greg, were outside <laughs> building a snowman. I look at this family is my father, Greg, my mother, Laura, my sister, Becca, and then me, Jose. Yes. I could have been um, adopted, I guess. I could have been nope. adopted. No. Oh. Well, then, I am not Greg's son. Unless Greg is a a very Hispanic man. Nope. Wow. (laughs) Laura's a Um, liar about a lot of things. He and his father, Greg, were outside building a snowman, but when Jose walked to the tree line and began speaking with someone that Greg could not see... uh, Oh, when that happened... (laughs) That's okay. So Jose, little Jose, speaking to the, the, the tree line. He spoke his own name and said a few other things Greg couldn't hear. Then some sort of seizure. He went into some sort of seizure and became catatonic. When he came, when he came to, he cried for hours. Anyway, back to when he was five. <laughs> but but apparently there was more to the story. Just as Jose got home from work and walked in the door, I heard Laura say. A few months before that, I was pregnant. The second I covered the mouthpiece and said, Hi, sweetie, Laura hung up the phone. I kept this conversa- this revelation to myself for a while. Laura didn't return my calls after Mason went to bed, so I never found out what happened to her pregnancy. Did she have a miscarriage? An abortion? Did she give More up like the baby Mr. for Carriage, adoption? Am I right, ladies? I'm I'm making it a thing. Hashtag Mr. Carriage. Ooh. Was it not Greg's child? <laughs> uh, millions again. Of, again. Millions of questions swarmed my mind. I didn't sleep at all, and I could barely hide my thoughts from Mason. He knew something was wrong. He's quite perceptive and can read me like a book. But I acted like I had a stomach ache and went to bed. I got the shits! <laughs> that night I had... I was like, a- Jesus Christ, you seem... You seem really unhappy and, and worried. What What's wrong with you? What's wrong, buddy? I got the shits. Ooh, I gotta go. Uh, that night I had an absolutely terrible dream, probably the worst one I've ever had. In it, an adult Mason attacked her pregnant his pregnant mother. She was sleepwalking but screaming wildly and pummeling his mother, <laughs> just like she uh, just like he had pummeled the guest bedroom door when his sister and his infant nephew uh, Becca and Caleb visited us last month. There was blood everywhere in the dream, and Mason ran off into the woods with a fetus. It was so violent, I jolted awake, nearly screaming. I've never heard one. <laughs> I've, never heard an, I've never heard a baby. See, a fetus doesn't count, guys. Uh, well, as the degenerate left pro-abortion, <laughs> technically, 
punching a fetus in the face is okay. <laughs> as long as it's not through a pregnant as long as it's not through a pregnant woman's stomach. Right. <laughs> that should be said. Right, yeah. This is what the left wants you <laughs> Good to evening. think. This is what the left doesn't want you to know. By their rules, you could punch a fetus <laughs> in the face. Ooh. <laughs> fucking Tucker Carlson. He fucking man. sucks. He's human. He looks like a le- he's got Lego hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good he way. Yeah. Me up. When I woke up, Jose was sitting upright, staring out the window. He was awake, and I could tell because his posture was normal. His eyes weren't rolled back in his head or blissfully sealed shut. He said, Did you hear it too? It took me a while to figure out where I was when I saw. <laughs> what the fuck? When I saw him sitting there in a pristine white t-shirt, I sighed in relief. There was no blood anywhere. It was just a dream. Before he could answer his question, I heard a baby crying. We live in a bigger suburban neighborhood now, so it was entirely possible that it was the sound from one of the nearby houses. But Jose's reaction to it really disturbed me. The look on his face made me think the sound was causing him physical pain. Oh! I got the shit. He cringed. <laughs> he cringed and shut his eyes, trying not to cry. I cupped his face with my hands and told him it was okay. But as I did, another voice rang out from the dark. It was a little girl. She was speaking to, as if to a baby. From what I could hear, she said, Where, where do we go inside? Up in the trees? Where? <laughs> Starting to cry. Not down in the hole, and not down there, no. (laughs) Jose started crying too. I looked out the window, but couldn't see anything. He said no explanation for why he was so upset, other than... He's back. He's here. I know it's him. I didn't want to scare him, but I completely agree. (laughs) You know what? You're fucking right. (laughs) Conversation with Nathan. I had missed a call from Nathan the next morning when I woke up. It was Saturday, and Mason and I had plans to get new furniture at Ikea, one of my favorite places in this world. Uh, While he was in the shower, I returned to Nathan's call. He answered on the first ring. He sounded terrible. The first thing he said was, Felix, do you know anything about the child? A few weeks prior, he had said, Tell me about the child, and I had no idea what he was talking about. Now I had a pretty clear idea. So I whispered to him that Faye's mo- that Mason's mother had been pregnant with Mason when Mason was five, but I had no idea what became of the baby. Um, he told me to get as much as uh, information from Laura as possible at all costs, but to keep it from Mason. He also told me that he was going to mail us a special herbal mixture, mugwort, uh, Damiana, and Calia Zaka something, to make it into tea before bed, uh, and therefore would shield us from the imposter's intrusions. I asked Nathan to explain what he meant. He said very simply, The At-An-Ano-Tog-Kua does not read minds. It reads dreams. This was astonishing. Uh, It was an astonishing revelation to me. It explains so much about the cabin. The imposter mimicked Faye's grandfather because she probably had a dream about him at the cabin. And it mimicked my mother for the same reason. It mimicked the people that Greg saw die in the war because he frequently had nightmares about them. The former owner of the cabin, Jennifer, heard her dead daughter's voice in the forest at night because she regularly dreamed about her, who wouldn't have painful dreams of their own child who passed away. 
I would just um, see my cat. Yeah. I would. Um, I see my cat a lot in my dreams. I oh, just yeah? would have seen her. So it just been like. Cool. <laughs> uh, that would have been the best. Yeah. The creature mimics the people it learns about through the dreams of its victims and repeats them in the forest to coax those victims outside. It also listens to the things people say while they are awake. That is why we heard so many unrecognizable and familiar voices at the same time. Some of those voices belong to other victims. The thing wanders around in the dark, pretending, uh, learning from its target, sharpening its skills, and pretending that it is... Uh, that is how it hunts. So to since the top, make it drop, that's a wet-ass pussy. That's what I imagined. Oh. Someone had a wet-ass pussy dream, yeah. and yeah. then now that thing knows the lyrics yeah. to wet-ass pussy. So since I was getting nearer to the significance of the number five, the information the imposter so desperately sought, Faye was in greater danger. My own dreams could betray our safety. Nathan continued, and I'm just paraphrasing because I can't remember everything verbatim, Faye is the most fascinating person the at an anua Tokkua has ever encountered. Her dreams are mysterious to it. She is a puzzle to be solved. And most of all, when it speaks to her through her dreams, she speaks back. I guess you could say it has a very dark fixation with her, perhaps even love, a putrid form of it anyway. It was true. Faye mirrored the imposter's darkness. When it looked into her, it didn't find all the hopes and dreams and fears it saw in others. Instead, it saw a deep well of impenetrable darkness, and it knew there was something hidden behind, beneath it. Whatever it plans to do with the information it seeks, it knows that five is the light that will reveal the bottom of the well and everything inside it. Cold sweat matted every inch of my skin during this conversation. I pressed the phone tighter to my ear so as not to miss a word. I asked, Why does it need Mason to find the answer? His parents probably know what the number means too. Nathan said something in his native language as though he were speaking to a person sitting in the room with him. Then he said, His parents haven't been to the Gavin in a very long time. Its connection to them is weak. Maybe it can't keep hold of someone for very long if they aren't on the mountain. After all, Faye has had... Her sleep disorder since she first went to Pike's Peak, but as the years passed, this entity faded from her life. It only returned when she came back. I heard the shower turn off, the glass door slid open, and Mason began moving around the bathroom. I walked outside to the patio and closed the door behind me. But what does it want, Nathan? I asked. I mean, once it learns everything it needs, what does it plan to do? Nobody will give me a straight answer. Again, Nathan said something I could not understand. He was talking to someone else. Perhaps one of the elders his community, of his community was with him. It is one of the old evils, he said. Our people have believed in them since the beginning. When a person dies, sometimes they become a, what do you call them, a wraith, a haunting. But these entities were here long before. So many horror films Mason and I had cheerfully watched came flooding into my mind. Oh, so like a demon, I said. I can't tell you how many movies I've seen where a family finds out that the ghost in their house is actually a demon, and for a few obscure reasons, that's much worse. I feel Shut the fuck up, white man. These are real <laughs> problems we're dealing with. This is not the conjuring films, you fucking idiot. I felt like I was about to be given that speech. Nathan cleared his throat. Well, no, not exactly. We don't believe in hell or any equivalent place. Our interpretation of the other world is very complex. But basically, this type of entity, they take you away. Not your body, not your, not your body, your spirit. They take it out into the dark, away from the world and its light. So far away, eternities upon eternities away. The distance drives your spirit completely mad, and then you become one of them. That's what it does. 
He separates you from where you're supposed to go in the afterlife. It steals you from yourself. So yeah, good news all around. I also asked Nathan how he was coping with his father's death, and he pointed out that he and pointed out that he sounded especially dreary today. Again, Nathan, you sound especially sad about your dead dad. Fuck today. off, white man. Well, I just think that you sound so sad about it today. Well, I think you sound like a bitch today, but you didn't hear me saying anything about it. Again, I expressed <laughs> express my condolences and said that I was most honored to have known T-Way and that we are alive because of him. Nathan were replied, you, Were you honored, white man? <laughs> Great. Go fuck yourself. Uh, Nathan replied that he knows his father's spirit lives on through his family and in the sacred earth where they live. For that reason, he does not mourn his death. However, Nathan also said something that made my hand go cold as I clutched the phone. He said, I keep having Freeze hand spell. <laughs> <laughs> I keep having the same nightmare every night. It keeps me awake when it's over or I'm exhausted. I asked him to tell me about the dream as I had been having terrible ones lately too. He said, It's the cabin. I see it in my dreams. It's sitting there in the dark and there's a bad storm. I'm standing at the distance looking at it. A light turns on inside and I walk toward it. As I approach, the front door slowly opens and something in my heart tells me not to step inside, but I do. Every time I do, when I'm inside, the light cuts out and it's very dark. From the living room, I can hear my father's voice calling out to me from the bedroom. He is speaking in our language and sounds happy and peaceful. He tells me to come to him and tells me that he wants to see my face before he goes to be with our ancestors. He calls me Ha-An-Tue, my light, the nickname I was given as a child. When I go to push the bedroom open, I wake up to the sound of a child crying every time. Nathan went on to explain that he feels these dreams are a sign and that he must return to the cabin and the site of Tiwe's death. I said, it could be a trap, you know. In fact, I'm sure it is. Nathan spoke once more in his language to whoever was in the room with them and then paused. He finally said, you must be right, but it really feels like him. I made him promise not to go back to the cabin. He agreed and said he'd call me in a few days. I thanked him again for his father's sacrifice. The secrets unravel. A few days. A few days passed in relative peace. Laura did not return my phone calls. Uh, Becca hates me. Uh, she didn't return my texts. The standoffishness in this family drives me nutter butters. When Jose and I got home from go from doing the groceries one evening, a package had arrived in the mail. It contained some herbs Nathan had talked about with instructions on how to make them into tea. Not too much, read the little note. Jose brewed some up and drank it. And when he was finished, I jokingly told him, actually, we are sending you on a vision quest. This is going to be really intense. Ha. Ha. <laughs> oh my God. She was not amused. We both slept soundly that night. No bad dreams, no strange activity outside, no weird sounds. I just cut to Nathan being like, I just put NyQuil. Yeah. I just soaked NyQuil it's into tea leaves tea. and then dried them. <laughs> uh, it's just okay. Earl Grey, man. <laughs> I'm the light. Okay, so the next morning there was a knock at the door. So light it only woke me up because I'm light sleeping and insomniac of the family. I snuck out of bed. He sleeps a lot for someone. Yeah, who's for someone who's an insomniac. Yeah. Um, I snuck out of bed, trying not to wake up Jose, and crept to the front door. It was Laura. 
She had come to our new home totally unannounced and uninvited. My cock was out. Mother-in-laws, am I right? Ugh. I immediately knew I that know, there I'm was. I'm alone. A... I wouldn't know. I immediately <laughs> knew that there was about to be a shitstorm. I couldn't begin to imagine what he she was doing here, but I knew by the look on her. I knew by the the on her face. I knew by the look on her face that there was trouble. I invited her inside and informed her that Jose was still asleep, and she was actually relieved and said that she wanted to talk to me alone. Mm. And talk, <laughs> and talk to your mom, Jose. Fuck off. Alone. Um, from her bag, she produced a photo album. We sat on the couch, and she quietly apologized to me for everything, for being constantly evasive, for lying and letting us go to the cabin in the first place. I waved away her ramblings and demanded to get to the purpose of the visit. I had absolutely had enough of all this and wanted to get to the bottom of the things. Laura dropped to her voice to a whisper and opened the photo album. At the photo album, as she turned the pages, I realized that it was actually a scrapbook. She said, This one was his first bath. Isn't he adorable? And he was. Mom! Um, a very elaborate one that had taken years of effort to construct. There were photos, drawings, designs, letters, postcards, even a necklace, and some flattened flowers. I saw pictures of Faye, of Jose, I had never seen before. Uh, he was absolutely adorable as a child. His photo, glowing, or his glowing smile poked out from beneath <laughs> the little strawberry locks ah, in shucks. photo after photo. Laura said, this is what I wanted to show you. I don't know how to talk to Faye or Jose about it. I was amazed. It took expert candy work to craft something like this. What a nice scrapbook. Can we focus? I'm just saying it's a really good scrapbook. <laughs> you made this? I asked. She flipped further into the scrapbook and revealed a few old pictures of herself in later stages of pregnancy. The centerpiece of one of the pages was a photograph of Laura, big-bellied and bearing a youthful smile, and a little five-year-old Jose curiously resting his ear on his mother's tummy. The image was priceless, and one that hadn't seen the light of day in decades. Jose and I put this together, actually. When he was very little, it made sense. He, you know, he never played sports. We kept trying to get him <laughs> to play sports or go do stuff, and he just wanted to scrapbook with his mother. I no. <laughs> um, Jose is one of the most talented arts and crafts hobbyists I've ever known. So, uh, what happened? I asked. Laura looked over her shoulder down the hall. She obviously feared Jose would wake up. His name was Christopher. She said, tears welled in her eyes as she spoke. When turned, she turned the page, there was a photo of Laura undergoing an ultrasound and giving a thumbs up. Oh, he was stillborn. A little over a month before the due date. I had no idea what to say. I felt like saying, I'm sorry, but it felt like saying, I'm sorry, was too empty, so instead I just remained silent. Placenta abruption. It's rare, but it happens. She scooted closer to me on the couch and set the scrapbook on my lap, then grabbed my wrist and said, oh, Mason... Jose doesn't remember any of this. We had never, ever, ever spoken of it. I asked him how that could be possible, given that she was certainly old enough to remember an event like that. Lauren explained that the emergency occurred while Greg was out with the girls. The paramedics rushed Laura to the hospital, but the baby could not be saved. When she, ha she and Greg finally decided to break the news to their daughters that Christopher died, Becca was heartbroken, but Jose did not react. 
it was as if they were telling him what they were telling him simply didn't didn't register. Laura would say, "Do you understand that Christopher is never coming home?" And Jose would say, "Yes, yes mommy." mommy. <laughs> With a blank expression. This went on for weeks. <laughs> the only thing that went on longer was trying to teach him how to tie his shoes. <laughs> Actually, Jose, yeah, would... I was a slow learner. <laughs> Jose would occasionally... I could do it to an extent, but I didn't do it the way my dad taught me, and he was very <laughs> mad about it. Like, you don't do it right. I'm like, they're fucking tied. <laughs> no, no, he fucking untied them. No, you did it wrong. <laughs> Uh, Jose would occasionally ask about Christopher as if he'd be visiting soon, and then suddenly, he didn't remember anything about him, as if they never existed. She began to act out in school and would throw violent tantrums for no reason. A child psychologist warned that Jose was not handling the situation well. <laughs> Glad we paid you $500 for that. Um, was not handling the situation well, so Laura and Greg decided to spend several days up at the cabin when the girls in hopes of separating little Jose's mind from the event. That's when it happened. Whatever it was that lives up in the forest, up in the trees, or down in the hole, noticed that, uh, took notice of Jose. It wanted to learn more. But his little dumb brain, his tiny little tiny brain, had shut down in terror when it got too close. Laura said, After that day, Jose never talked to smoke of Christopher again. Oh no, I lost that, I lost that <laughs> accent. He seems completely unaware that he ever existed. I'm doing, like, Christopher Walken now. I don't yeah. know. I'm sorry. He seems unaware. After that day, Jose never spoke of Christopher again. Of me, Christopher And Walken. seems completely unaware that he ever existed. <laughs> Quite suddenly, Jose's voice erupted from behind us. He was standing there I in the hallway. Toa. <laughs> That's what I, you erupted, you know? E2, Brute! <laughs> He was standing in the hallway, perhaps for a long time. I slammed the scrapbook shut, you know, like a liar, and went <laughs> out of the room. There was an agonizingly long moment of stillness during which all of us exchanged surprised looks. What's that? <laughs> he finally asked, pointing at the scrapbook in my lap. I was useless. A deer in headlights. Laura got up and got between me and Jose, giving him a hug and asking him how he was feeling. I'm good. What the fuck is that, though? What is that? What are you guys... What's going on here? She said they needed to talk, but Jose pushed him, pushed her aside and walked over to the couch. His fiery eyes locked on the scrapbook and didn't blink. He reached down and opened it. The page revealed a colorful cutout of the number five. It was one of the final pages of the book. His jaw trembled. His tears instantly welled in his eyes. A look of excruciating pain fell over all of his face. And he began hyperventilating. Laura rounded the couch, trying to assuage her. But Jose slapped his hand away Get and the grabbed the scrapbook. And then raced off to the bed. <sighs> he cried in there for hours. His mother said it was just like when he was a boy. He locked himself in his room and cried. That's not hours. what I was doing in there. Uh, I spent the rest of the day well, alone. I don't, because everything was so wet when you'd come <laughs> out. And spent it was sticky, mother, not just wet. I spent the rest of the day alone. Uh, Faye never emerged from the Mason never emerged from the bedroom. It wouldn't speak to me when I knocked, so I played Overwatch to distract myself from the horrible knot of stress in my stomach. <laughs> what a fucking asshole! <laughs> 
Eh, whatever. I'm gonna game with the boys. This is the most traumatic, like traumatizing thing, like of a repressed, stillborn uh, family member, yeah. and he's just like, "Ha, I'm Winston." <laughs> nice. <laughs> Meanwhile, texting my best friends Richard and Jason regarding the new developments. When I got up for a drink, a drink, I heard the bedroom door click. Mason Yo, was ready to let me in. J-Bone, you'll never guess what's happening. Boys, get on. We're, 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 uh, we're going to play some fucking COD. I want to be Tracer. <laughs> um, nice. She was sitting on the bed with a scrap in her lap when I pushed the door open. I said as gently as I could, you want to talk about it? His face was streaked with hundreds of tears. His skin was pale and his eyes were lifeless. Never had I seen him in such a state. I considered calling the paramedics, the paramedics for fear that he might hurt himself or me. He said, I remember now. I stood there in the doorway, afraid to make a move. I wasn't sure how Mason would react to the knowledge that I had been conspiring with his mother about their secret past. Mom and I spent all summer getting the nursery set up, she said, tracing a finger over one of the photos. Dad was so excited that he was finally going to have a son, so we did a sports theme. I walked over to the bed and sat down, <laughs> quiet as a lamb, trying not to trigger another explosion. He's like, it's I walked much, over to the bed and just went sadder. to sleep. It's much sadder when you think that I, I was a boy. <laughs> that's, he was excited to have a son, so we did a sports theme. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Mason kept his hands pressed on the scrapbook as though he were feeling for a pulse. The colorful number five rested at the center of the page, laid over various photos. In one, there was a baseball mural pointed, painted on the wall with a five players, and in another, a toddler onesie in the design of a basketball jersey. It displayed the number five. What is this kid fucking Chance the Rapper that, <laughs> that he was already obsessed with the He's number? the threes. Yeah. Um, Mason started crying again and choked out. Christopher. <laughs> Christopher was going to be the fifth member of our family. Oh. Oh. Yeah, we we fucking we got that. He's right. number five. We wait, talked he, for. Wait, this we there's I have two more siblings. No, you have one sibling and you have two parents. That makes four of you. Oh, yeah. I didn't count myself. Yeah, you fucking. Dumbass. I'm not. Oh. We talked for a long time. Mostly Mason talked. I just quietly watched his face in awe as a deluge of ancient memories flooded his mind. Would you just shut the fuck? <laughs> you ever get into one of those conversations where they're like legitimately yeah. being like really into it, and you're just like, "Oh, oh my fuck, god, I was just trying to be nice. I don't want yeah, to do this right, right. now." Um, sometimes he could barely speak. Other times he shook his head and said it was all a dream. His denial rose and fell in waves, and he grasped at all the. Um, faded images in his head and tried to describe to them to me with great strain. A tomb had been unearthed and Mason was excavating it despite the pain it wrought on him. All I could do was hold his hand through it. That night, I made Nathan's tea again. We both drank it. Jose fell asleep. I stayed awake watching Netflix. Just as I was about to shut off the computer, I heard rustling outside and then the voice of a little girl, she said... It's Faye. It's it's Jose. That sounds like a little girl. I can't see you. Who are you? I walked down the hall and peered out of the blinds in the living room. A dark figure walked past the window, scaring me half to death. It came from our backyard, and no doubt had been standing beside our bedroom window. I ran down the hall and grabbed my sweats. 
shoes and bolted to the door and looked around all the property. Was he not wearing pants? I no, guess not. And there was a there there across the road, standing under a street lamp, was a man. His body glowed in the pale yellow light. His face was totally black. He looked nearly seven feet tall, and one of his shoulders was noticeably higher than the other. His posture was rigid and reminiscent of the He's way just Jose eagle. sleepwalked. Oh no, it's just a. Uh... I'm happy to see you again. Man. <laughs> Threw my shoulder out of place. I need hey, you to go to the hospital. Hey, you gonna give me a ride to the hospital? Shaquille O'Neal. It's like um, it's like Scooby Doo. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. When they constantly like run into celebrities. Yeah. George Takai. What are you doing <laughs> running this Kabuki theater? Anyway, uh, I knew exactly who it was. Five, six-time All Star, <laughs> former MVP, Shaquille O'Neal. Um, I can't explain what prompted me to run after him, but I just wanted to grab this thing by the goddamn neck and beat it to death with my bare hands. Perhaps it was because I was so tired, my fear instinct hadn't kicked in yet, or perhaps I just had enough. But instead of clawing me to death right there in the street, the figure turned and ran. I chased him. I chased him, screaming at the top of my lungs to stay the fuck away from me and my family. Get out of here, Shaq! You can't come, you can't visit us anymore. What the hell, man? I thought we were friends. I, uh, the thing moved fast, but limped with a freakish gait. (laughs) My mind envisioned a rail-thin creature made of oily black parts stretching on the costume of a human and gracelessly lurching around in it. This thing was not a person. Its movements were animalistic, its strides too far too long. It breathed, wheezed air like an antique accordion. And the stench that dragged behind it stinged my nose. It smelled like a wildfire. No woods for you to fuck around in in here, I screamed. Lights flickered on in all the houses around me as I chased the figure. It practically galloped its way across 20 feet ahead of me. I chased it down for two blocks. It rounded a few turns and finally bounded over a chain-link fence into the community park where there were no lights. I couldn't see a damn thing, so I had to run all the way around to the other side to get in. The only thing I could see was a silhouette. The figure stood there in the empty field, shrouded by the night, gazing up at the moon. The silver outline of its body indicated that it was facing away from me. One of its hands twitched wildly. The other one was gnarled up like driftwood. Uh, The sight uh, of it out here, so far from help, unnerved me. I approached it still, committed to ending this nightmare tonight, one way or another. My courage evaporated about ten feet from the figure when it issued a growl I can't even describe. It was so deep it felt like my ribcage as much as I heard it. I stopped in my tracks and managed to say, You will never take her. You will never have Jose. You will leave us alone forever. Go back to that fucking mountain, you been bury yourself in a mine. It growled and then gurgled a wet laugh. What's your name? <laughs> oh, that was him. Yeah, whatever. It asked in my voice. Oh, wait. What's what is your name? It asked in my voice. It had been practicing. It's perfect now. May I come in? How do you carry on a conversation with an entity that's basically a demonic demonic parrot? I have said much louder than before. You will leave us alone and go back to the mountain. Jose will never be yours. The imposter emitted a shrieking, the shrieking of an infant. 
The sound startled me and felt so wrong coming out of the forms of such a large man. Then it said in a voice of a child, You go down in the hole. That's where he'll pull you. Look at me, you piece of shit, I said. <coughs> I tried to sound menacing. <laughs> but I knew it, but in reality, I am a coward. Most people <laughs> can sense it. There is no doubt about it. The imposter knew it too. <laughs> then it said something that I did not expect. It sound threw me off so much, my head spun. Tell me about the child. It said Nathan's voice wafted gently from its throat. Tell me about the child. Before I could speak, the imposter whirled around and squared off with me. There is no words to express the combination of shock and instant despair that I felt. My knees came straight out from under my body, and I fell into the wet grass. Ugh. Staring down at me, with uh, stared, staring down at me, boring into me with, it, with lidless eyes, the face of Nathan, my friend, protector, son of the man who had given his life to help me. Now his skin was hard and bruised. His scalp flayed, his eyes tormented. He'd been stretched over a skull that didn't quite fit, <sighs> and a body that rattled with loose, collected bones. That's a fucking horrifying image. A slimy black liquid dribbled down its arms. Perhaps it was blood. It was too dark to tell. It spoke the phrase uh, in the language of Nathan's people, the same one Nathan uttered over the phone the last month that made us sick. I began vomiting profusely as I lay in the ground. Tell me about the child. It said one more time, then smiled. The lips spread and stretched an expressive, malevolent joy, bearing the rotten maw of a long-dead wolf. Nathan's voice seeped out of it. Let me speak to the one who followed you home. I gasped for air, but couldn't command my body to move. The creature took a few steps towards me, and I slammed my eyes shut, expecting to feel its hideous fangs in my neck. Instead, I heard footsteps approach, then recede in the opposite direction. When I opened my eyes, the imposter had stepped over me and walked away, he was already in the distance, moving quickly back toward my neighborhood, toward my house. Followed you home. Oh, it repeated, voice echoing in the cold air night. Followed you home. Followed you home. You motherfucker. Nathan was working with him the whole time? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> when I was three years old, my parents and I went on some family, went with some family friends to a cabin up in the mountains. One of the other family's kids was sick with some sort of flu. A few nights in, I came down with it and threw up everywhere, over and over. My father was so grossed out that his reaction made me cr cry a lot. Oh, you're a fucking sicko, he said. <laughs> my, mom had to kick my mom had to kick him out of the room while she took care of me. His horrified expression imprinted in my mind forever and taught me that there is something terribly wrong with being sick. Son, the thought of you swimming out of my balls is... So disappointing right now. <laughs> You're gross. I'm, tw I'm 28 years old now, and I spent years of my life being absolutely paranoid about throwing up. Emetophobia mm. con controls you so much. You should be. <laughs> hey, son, it's me. Just stopped in to tell you gross. You're still gross, gross and I still hate you. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Emetophobia. Don't forget your gross. <laughs> Emetophobia controls so much of a person's existence It makes you afraid to share someone's drink Afraid to dr eat without washing your hands Afraid to get on roller coasters Afraid to fly in planes Afraid to try new things I think I think you just have anxiety Yeah, I th Yeah, I was gonna say Also, you should be afraid of like a couple of those things uh, Don't well, share yeah, drinks true. and eat without washing your hands Yeah um, uh, Anyway 
But at some point after decades with that phobia, you almost forget what causes you to regard all of those things with fear. The possibility of vomiting becomes subconscious. You don't even think about it anymore. You're just afraid of virtually everything that could cause it. And yet you have no immediate explanation for why you are afraid anymore. You just are. I always thought throwing up is a little therapeutic. You feel much better afterwards. Yeah, I never. I, I don't like to, up, and I never you know. like to give into it. But then when I inevitably end up throwing up, I'm like, oh, I feel. Oh great. no, I'm constantly like, if I'm like th- that to that point of being sick, I'm just like, I'm gonna go throw up now. Like I'm telling, I don't. My body isn't telling me when I throw up. I'm telling my fucking body when we're throwing up. I'm gonna throw up. I don't have a gag reflex. That doesn't work. Oh. I, it's a whole thing. Yeah, we learned it. It's I do not have one. <laughs> Uh, Mason, next time I visit, we're going to have some fun, you and I. Not not like I would. It doesn't doesn't matter whether I had one or not for you. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Anyway, although although that possibility no longer lingers at the precipice of my conscious thoughts, the imposter found it. He went straight to the core of my being and saw what terrifies me the most. He brought it out and used it against me, repeating Nathan's spiritual purge, that didn't uh, spiritual purge chant. <laughs> what the, the f- thing? The thing it's most he's most afraid of is throwing up. Yeah, uh, didn't just disable me there in the field. It was a reminder, a reminder of the creature's remarkable power to turn my own flawed humanity upon me. A reminder that it was planning to make me suffer in the most personal of ways. The imposter was designing a personal hell for me, and it was nearly ready to drag me down into it. And so the world collapsed on me. I laid there on the ground, puking my guts out, knowing that my fiancé was asleep and unguarded in a bed, with, while a terrifying being strode toward her through the dark. It called out her name in every, uh, in every voice familiar to her. It said things that would make him happy. It begged for help and mimicked the cries of children. It capitalized on his innate motherly instincts of his buried memories and on the vulnerability of his unconscious state. And all oh, no, I Mason could do... would never go to help a crying baby. He just loves to watch babies cry. <laughs> Again, he's never <laughs> hurt one. That he I've just seen. likes it when they cry. And all I could do was stagger around and wait for the thrum of my death-gripped heart to subside. After a few moments, moonlight poured back into my vision, lighting the way out of the park. Puking my pulse recovered. In the moonlight. <laughs> My pulse recovered from its frenzy, and the numbness of my limbs faded. The taste in my mouth for once didn't paralyze me. I tore through the streets to get back to my house. I had no plan. You son of of a bitch, that's my wife. (laughs) That's my wife! That's my wife. A lot of lights were on in the houses that lined my street. Many of my neighbors had likely heard me screaming. I hoped this meant that the imposter would think twice about moving out in the open beneath their watchful gazes. The front door of my house was wide open and it was pitch dark inside. I shouted for Mason but couldn't find him. The bed was empty and disheveled as though he'd jumped out of it or had been dragged from it. A faint sound caught my attention, the sound of crying, and I struggled to determine where it came from. After looking in every room, I realized it was coming from outside. As I stepped out the sliding glass door in our bedroom that leads to the backyard, the sound grew louder and mixed with the shuffling noises. There's a, hall- there's a walkway that runs alongside the side of our house and connects the backyard to the front. And there in the darkness was Mason. He was sleepwalking in the most unusual manner I'd ever seen. He stood high up on the balls of his feet as before, but was bent over at the waist. His hair and arms dragged lifelessly toward the ground, and he shuffled towards the street where I'd first seen the shadowy figure. Mason's neck was craned in such a way that I could see his face swaying just outside his left thigh. Two Mm. mournful eyes peered up from it, and his lips trembled as he cried. I couldn't tell Uh. if he was conscious or not. Uh. 
He mumbled uh, something, but with his cries, I couldn't make out what he was uh, saying. Uh, how's it have? Huh? How's it have? What do you want? How's it have? Helvin. Who the hell is Helvin? All right, well, I'm going to go back inside, figure out what's going on with you. <laughs> she mumbled something, but her cries made, uh, I couldn't make uh, what she was saying. I wrapped my arms around his waist and literally carried him inside. He clawed at me and landed a tiger palm on my crotch just as we careened into the living room. A police car drifted by, its flashing lights, its flashlights tracing all across the houses. I gently closed the door and peered out the window. It took me a moment to see it, but in the tree in our front yard, a dark form is crouched in the thickest branch. I yanked the curtains down over the blinds. Mason and I remained awake for the rest of the night until dawn. I heard footsteps on our roof in, our, in the attic, but no voices. On two occasions, someone knocked gently on the front door and once on the sliding glass door in the back. But we remained in the living room. We communicated only through pen and paper and prevented each other from nodding off and dreaming about me about the scrapbook, or about Christopher. The last thing she wrote was, I've got an idea, bitch. Explain tomorrow. <laughs> At about 6 a.m., my cell phone buzzed on the table. All had been quiet for a few hours now, and Jose and I were almost done with the second Lord of the Rings movie. When I grabbed the phone, I was surprised to see that it was the... <laughs> That it was the ranger from Pikes Peaks. I was surprised to see that the rangers... Oh, yeah, his name's Greg, because I'm not good at thinking of names. We hadn't spoken in a while, and I immediately feared that his calls were confirmation of the grim likelihood that Nathan was dead. He skipped all pleasantries and said, You better sit down. A nauseous fear just crept up from my throat. When he said when he said that, I shook my head and replied, "Just tell me, just tell me." Static began to form around my peripheral my peripheral vision, which happens when I'm feeling faint. Uh, if it grows and covers my entire field of view, I'll pass out. Yeah, that's how the that ranger, works, right? Yeah, yeah. When I yeah, when the ranger cleared his throat and tried to speak with composure, but I could hear on this, the voice that he'd been crying. We got a uh, call from Aiden's relatives. Said he'd been missing for a few days. Thought he went camping with his buddies, but uh, none of them uh, knew where it was. On my morning routine, I dropped by uh, Jose's folks' cabin. There was a long silence, which told me everything I needed to know. But then the ranger said, We got cops everywhere up here now. Whole mountain shut down. They've still got Tyway listed as a... T-Way listed as a missing person. But now they're hunting for a body. Like, they mean it this time. Looking for a murderer, too, but... I interrupted him and demanded to know why there was... Demanded to know why. There was no way I could hide the frantic anxiety any longer. The ranger said, Something's happening up here. Up at the cabin. They did something to him. I don't know how to tell you. He paused, struggling to hold back tears. I crumpled to the floor while he spoke. I told you to sit down, dummy. The news... <laughs> Oh shit! Fuck. The news singed every nerve. Singed every nerve of uh, I think it's my body. Singed. You're right. <laughs> uh, radiated up from my stomach, across every limb. My scalp tingled. Uh, the static grew in my vision. I need to know. I said. The ranger insisted the details were unnecessary, but I begged him. What I was about to tell you is a paraphrasing of what the ranger said. 
Some of this info might change as the Denver coroner performs an official autopsy, but this is what we know. The bathroom window of the cabin had been forced open from the outside, but also the front door was unlocked and slightly open when the ranger arrived. The bedroom door was locked from the inside. It appeared that two people, one of them being Nathan, had been staying inside the cabin for two or three nights. Nathan's satellite phone was found inside, my number being the last one it dialed. It was He's going to get wrapped up in a murder case. Yeah. He doesn't have time for that right, right now. Yeah. Um... It was unclear whether Nathan was present at the cabin, but when we last spoke, when he promised he wouldn't go to the cabin, uh, there was a buck knife jammed into one of the walls, and many unusual symbols and words had been carved all over the hallway leading from the, li- leading from the living room to the bedroom. There were words in Hopi, the language of Nathan's people. They're the language that Nathan's people speak, and Zuni, a language they do not. The words haven't yet been translated, but there was a carving of a large dreamcatcher outside the bedroom door and a non-lethal amount of blood splattered on the carpet and lower wall opposites of said door. On the inside of the bedroom door, there were small marks everywhere as though someone had been pounding on it very hard. The ranger, and sheriff, <laughs> the ranger and sheriff speculated that Nathan sat on the floor in the hallway for several hours or perhaps an entire day. Someone was in the bedroom but the door remained locked. It's possible they had a long conversation. At no point was the electricity or heat functioning in the cabin because it had been shut off after I was rescued on my second visit. This meant that however long Nathan stayed there, he remained in the dark uh, in freezing weather each night. Two pairs of tracks were found leaving the cabin, one from the bedroom window, the other from the front door, heading heading into the forest out back. The tracks joined together, indicating that the two people walked side by side into the woods. Nathan's body was found by the ranger's dogs approximately a quarter mile in, buried upside down with his legs erupting out of the soil at the knee. Upon uh, exhumation, it was discovered that Nathan's face and scalp had been flayed or mutilated, and there were deep lacerations in his back that appeared to be from claws and carvings on his arms that looked self-inflicted. The unofficial cause of death, however, was suffocation. He had been buried alive. Oh, and everything in the cellar was gone. It was completely empty. I've never come so close to ending my own life. The guilt and horror I felt at hearing the ranger's words are still ineffable. Someone bothered trying to document them. Somehow I convinced myself there would be a time for grieving in the future, and even for acts of penance, but right now I needed to focus on Mason. After all, he might end up just like Nathan and Tiway if we didn't figure out what to do. A few days passed with no strange activity beyond a voice here and there, and I was hesitant to let Mason sleep for fear that he would dream of his little brother and give the imposter what it sought. But he explained to me his idea, a plan to get rid of the creature once and for all. And for the first time in months, I actually felt a glimmer of hope. We kept drinking Nathan's tea after concluding that it was doing no discernible harm, and Mason spent the days furiously drawing, journaling, and texting with his mom and sister. I called Angela, the Shoshone woman, and requested that she come visit us with her hypnotist friend to speak with Mason again, and to bless our new house. I also made a large donation, as large of a donation as I could afford to Tiwe and Nathan's community to help cover the cost of their funeral ceremonies. In my spare time in the evenings, I wrote a letter for both of them. I intend to read it at their place of burial someday. Each night, Jose went to bed crying. He had definitely entered some kind of mourning process, long delayed by years of denial, and now I bore witness to a lifelong impact of his loss. Never have I seen a human in so much pain, but Jose assured me that he would be alright, and that I should have faith in him. 
I silently oblige because I trust him more than anyone in the world. He knows himself. Ha! <laughs> he knows himself real well. And I'd put my faith in that. One night, I snuck into the bedroom and retrieved Jose's drawings. He had uh, produced several pictures of his own nightmares, of memories from his childhood, and of a young man that looked, all, that looked like him. I believe he is Christopher. Or at least how Jose imagines Christopher might look. Um, he had survived, had he survived, grown up, and all of that and such. She wrote, he wrote all kinds of things around the drawings, mostly detailed descriptions of the images, sometimes stories from when he was young, and wrote his brother's name dozens of times. He even drew a family portrait that included himself at age five holding a smiling baby. On the fifth night, after the incident at the park, Angela and, his, and his, her hypnotist friend arrived. As I mentioned before, I haven't been giving the hypnotist's name uh, because I don't just don't want you to have to keep track of too many people. But I did introduce a second Greg into the story. Uh, Jose informed our guests that of what uh, Jose informed our guests of what he believed uh, would get rid of the entity for good. I went outside and set the drawings under the tree in our front yard where I'd last seen the shadowy figure. But then, then we got Jose comfortable. Then we got Jose comfortable and set him up on the couch. Fortunately for us, Jose had been remarkably had the remarkable ability of being able to fall asleep at any time in any place. So we all had to do all That's we had called to do narcolepsy. Was dim the lights. Uh, it was dim the lights in the house. I made a pasta dish for dinner, everyone, for everyone, and within an hour, she he was out cold. This time, he didn't drink Nathan's tea. <gasps> no. For a long time, Angela, the hypnotist, and I sat at the kitchen table over the coffee and ice cream. We kept our voices low and discussed recent events that related to the cabin, waiting for the imposter, imposter, waiting for the imposter to show up. <laughs> The hypnotist, the, the hypnotist was especially interested in the dream catchers and wanted to know who made them. I told her I didn't have any idea and that uh, at first I thought the entity itself created them. After speaking with the no sleepers, you are, which is the Reddit community, who are more insightful than I am, I started to believe that someone had summoned or was controlling the entity with the original dream catcher. It's, it's, the, it's the ranger. He's evil. Ah, <gasps> no. Or I just, that was just the most random person I could think of. I don't... Anyway. Okay, then when I broke it, I realized it was protecting me. She said, do you think it's possible one of her family members created it? Or the ranger? Do you trust him? Many people have speculated that T-Way and Nathan were not honest with me or not who they said they were. But I honestly hadn't considered the ranger himself could be behind all this. I conceded that it was possible. <laughs> Jose spoke in a, a few times in his sleep, laughing, and said things like, Do you need help with that? Or what the hell are you doing? After he said the names of his, of, her, of his boss, I realized that he was dreaming about work. We waited until about midnight, and then no activity had occurred. No sounds were coming from outside. Angela woke, ho woke up Jose and said, We need to take a more direct approach. The two women propped Jose up hospital bed style and began to hum a beautiful song. Angela intermittently spoke in her native uh, tongue and traced lines with her finger across uh, Jose's forehead. The hypnotist occasionally raised her hands to the air, then touched Jose's shoulders. After several minutes, my fiancé went limp. His head slumped back on the couch, 
His arm dangled to the floor. Finally, he opened his eyes, which were now rolled in the back of his head, and began breathing rhythmically. The hypnotist said, Who are you? (laughs) Oh my god, I'm having an asthma attack. (laughs) Down the stream when the stream pulled way down low. Anyway, Jesus Christ, I took it all out of his feet. Anyway, the hypnotist said, Who are you? Jose. He, He replied simply, Jose. Are you alone? I am with you. Who else is here? Angela, Felix, Erica. That bitch. (laughs) Erica is her boss. The hypnotist corrected Jose and said, Erica isn't here, you dumb bitch. It's just the four of us. Jose looked puzzled for a moment and then said, Okay. Okay. (laughs) The title of the creator. Okay. Um, uh, Angela joined the conversation and touched Jose's arm. She asked, the one who follows you, the one who calls out in the night, where is he now? Is he here? Uh, Jose's head craned from side to side like uh, she was emptying, he was emptying water from his ears and then replied, No. <laughs> where is he? Jose sat motionless for what felt like a whole minute and then finally said, Across the dark. The hypnotist said, Jose? Can you tell him, can you call out to him? Can you ask him to come here? He remained silent. The hypnotist asked again. Jose, can you call out to him? Can you make him come here? Uh, Jose said forcefully. No. Angela said, honey, we can't get rid of him unless you bring him here. Jose began to whimper. His mouth trembled, and he uttered in the voice of a small child, Please. No. Goosebumps rippled across my arm, and as I sat on the table watching, Angela implored, and Jose began to cry. <laughs> you have to call out to him, the hypnotist repeated. Tell him where you are. Jose slowly rocked his head back and forth and tried to reach up into the air to protect himself. But when the weight of his hypnotic state kept him in his place, suddenly his body went stiff, his eyes rolled forward, they landed squarely on me, then looked over my shoulder and focused on something a thousand miles behind me. Her mouth opened, his mouth opened slightly, and a gurgling sound came up out of his throat. He said in a wet and masculine voice, Watch you, watch you. Jose leaped off to the couch and shuddered. I'm God. As, <laughs> shuddered as though he were trying to throw something off his back. His body stayed rigid and turned and faced away from us. Cock every hard. joint raging hard on. <laughs> every joint in his limbs popped with sickening cracks. Oh, fucking hell. Sorry. Uh, he bent his head back and stared up at the place at the ceiling. Uh, where the ceiling meant the wall in front of him, then tightly balled his fists and said again, Watch you. Watch you. Watch you. The hypnotist and Angela were standing now, gathering around Jose to prevent him from hurting himself or dashing off into the night. I played safety a few feet away, (laughs) trying to be ready for anything. The hypnotist said, Faye, tell us where he is. She breathed through gritted teeth, and then forced out the word, Bedroom. 
We all turned and looked behind us down the dark hall. The hypnotist wrapped her hand around Faye's forehead and began, or from behind, and started whispering into his ear. Uh, I turned and quiet, quickly moved, quietly moved down the hall toward the bedroom. As I approached, I could hear the sliding glass door in, uh, in the yard open. When I stepped into the bedroom, a cold breeze was blowing in. The glass door on the opposite wall was wide open. Who wants a glass door in their bedroom? In their bedroom? No, thank you. Fuck no, that. No, no. Fuck that entirely. Yeah. Anyway. Um, on the opposite wall was wide open. I looked at it to make sure I wasn't uh, about to get ambushed, then approached the door. The backyard light had a motion sensor that was automatically activates when something moves. It was off. The yard was dark. However, at the far end, I could make out the shape of a man. The same figure I'd seen a week earlier. The one I'd made the dire mistake of chasing after. This time, the figure was even larger than it was before. It appeared to stand at roughly seven feet tall. It faced away from the sides of... Faced away, as always, its head was cocked toward the moon. Its hands lay pressed against the sides, his fist balled tightly, clutching many pieces of paper. Jose's drawings. It growled. Walmart. Walmart. I slid the door shut as fast as I could and locked it, then raced <laughs> nope, to the living room. No, thank room. you. None of that. <laughs> Have a good night. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jose was sitting on the couch, head still craned up towards the ceiling. When Angela and the hypnotist w were speaking to her, they implored her to wake up, but it seemed as if she was struggling to return. Outside, a voice howled. It sounded like a little girl crying out for her mother. Again, the voice erupted. Laura's shouting... Greg, we need to take her to the hospital. Uh, Jose began to uh, convulse. The two women clutched her tightly ah, and begged I'm her convulsing. to wake up. An infant began to shriek in the yard. It was, then it slowly moved to, down to the side of the house to the front door. There was a loud, slow knock, followed by more voices. The knock repeated over and over, and Bella and Becca's voice called out from behind the door. Hey, where are you? Or, Jose, where are you? Help me. Please help me. <laughs> At last, Jose sucked in a huge breath, <laughs> leaned back on the couch, his head returned to a normal position, and he stood up frantically trying to collect himself. The pounding on where the, the door grew louder. The voices began to overlap as though several people were standing in the front of the house crying out in the night. And the neighbors are just like... Phew. Yeah. Phew. <laughs> he said uh, breathlessly, It's here. It's here. And looked at me. In Jose's eyes, I saw uncertainty and terror. Mirrors of my own state. But then, a look of conviction fell over his face. The fear seemed to evaporate right off of it. A man began to cry outside the door and said in Greg's voice, He was my child too, Laura. My son. Did you think a weekend in the goddamn mountains would make me forget? <laughs> Jose grasped his words, uh, gra gasp. His words were so perfectly clear that I never believed he was, uh, he was, that I nearly believed he was on the other side of the door. Don't you fucking dare, Laura's voice shouted. Just let her forget. Let her forget. This doesn't have to be her burden, too. Jose burst into tears and, wob and wobbled <laughs> the door. He rested his face against it and reached for the knob. The shrieks of the baby echoed through the house, followed by a little girl saying, What's your name? 
I can't see you. It's Jose. <laughs> Jose. <laughs> I watched my fiance collapse to the floor in despair. Angela and the hypnotist, who were doing fuck all up until this point, <laughs> took a step They're forward. They're just like, wow, this is a good soap, uh, soap opera. Nuts. Holy shit. I watched my fiance collapse to the floor. Angela and the hypnotist took a step forward, but Jose put his hand in the air to halt them. Halt. He sat on the ground, leaned back up against the door, <sighs> brushed the strawberry locks out of his face. The door knocked again. My own voice followed it, saying, May I come in? It's freezing out here. Another storm's coming tonight. I have to I tell have, you something. I have Jose to tell you something. Jose said, gently knocking on the door. <clears throat> Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so, so far. I know what you really want. What you really, really want. Um, so tell, tell me what, what you want. want what you really, you really, really want. want. I want to. I want to. I want to possess I wanna, you. Wanna, oh, oh. <laughs> the voices fell silent at once, and only an uneven breathing remained. I had a baby brother. He said. His name was Christopher. He was number five from the TV show The Umbrella Academy. He was number, number five. five. <laughs> Smitty Wurtzman Jigger. <laughs> yeah. He was number, number one. <laughs> I love that episode so Good. much. Jose knocked on the door again. After a minute, something knocked back. I remember now. He continued. I couldn't remember for years, or I guess I didn't want to. It's easier for me to just pretend things never happened. Some kids make things exist, friends, monsters, places. But I made Christopher not exist. The way I, that way I didn't have to lose him. His death was just make-believe. A long, slow scratching noise resounded re through the door. The thing outside was dragging a claw across the wood like it was drawing a picture. Jose put... That was the scratching <laughs> Oh, I, it sounded like drumming, but okay. Um, Jose put his, his palm on the door, feeling the weak vibrations from the scratching. Jose, are you fucking this monster? I think so. For a um, long time. <laughs> it's a glory hole, and the creature stuck its dick through the door. Ugh. For a long time, the number was all I could remember. I knew it meant something more, but every time I thought about it, my whole body would hurt. I'd feel sick, and then I'd just fall asleep, or if I was dreaming, I'd just wake up. I always knew it meant something more. The doorknob rattled and a wet clunking sound. Ugh. I don't know what a wet clunk is. I don't, yeah, I don't Ooh, even yeah, know. That was probably good. Um, the imposter was gnawing at it from the <laughs> other side. The clatter of a hundred jagged teeth rose in vile symphony across our living room. He was stillborn. Do you know what that is? He died inside my mom. All this time I've avoided burying Christopher, but you finally helped me realize why it's time I laid him to rest. From across the door we heard, and that's what we've been trying to get you to understand, Jose. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> no! Jose, come here, come hold him, Becca's voice called out. I don't get it, he falls asleep so fast when you've got him. You want, to, you want her to be your new mommy, Caleb? The scratching noise persisted. Jose wiped tears from his eyes and took a deep breath. <sighs> now you know everything. I wanted you to know. Not to stop trying to kill me, but just to, like, know. 
you know. A chorus of voices rang out in the night. An infant screamed, a toddler cried, a Greg and a Laura and a Becca <laughs> and a Tywee and a Tiway and a Nathan <laughs> and a Ranger all spoke at once. Decades of pain washed through the door. Words of anguish and sorrowful cries drowned out all other sounds in the room. Angela, the hypnotist, who's still doing fuck all, and me, who's also doing fuck all, exchanged terrified glances. But Jose remained motionless at the door, staring up into my eyes. He didn't blink. Get creepy, motherfucker. The knocking on the door swelled into violent pounding. The entity used every possible trick it could. It tried... So a door can stop this thing really yeah. easily. Yeah. Um, it tried... Uh, it seems weak. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it could. It tried to hit uh, her right where the wounds were fresh. It tried to tear the oldest scars, but Jose never budged. He held his ground, emotionally speaking, and never took his eyes off me. They were filled with a knowing calm, as if to say, Enough. When the imposter got no response, it stomped from the front door to the nearby window. It towered over us and blocked out the moonlight. It lit up the drapes. A huge shadow fell across uh, Jose, and we sat there, and she sat there unmoved. Oh my. Oh my. It growled. Jose's lips quivered. <laughs> but... <laughs> Gross. But he said nothing. A Titanic scream. No, no, it's it, it's a... Here's a Titanic scream. Ready? <clears throat> Near, far, wherever you are. Yeah. Oh, God. Good movie. <laughs> Titanic scream <laughs> erupted from the creature. I think mine was funnier. It's no, a yours boat. is funny. It's a, a Titanic scream would be more like, ah, oh, we're drowning because... We fucking no, ran into an iceberg. Boat, a boat scream is... <laughs> anyway. Uh, it slapped the glass with its open hand. The I read that as it slapped my ass, and I was like, what? <laughs> what? How did, what, the, what story are we reading? The sound shook our home and struck a lightning bolt of terror in the pit of my tummy. But Jose did not react. He didn't even flinch. The entity said something I did not expect. Instead of assuming the voice of someone we knew, it spoke in several I did not recognize. It spoke only one labored sentence, but each word was uttered in a different tongue. I walked a thousand years across the dark to find you. He just stole this from Dracula. That's a and fucking. I that's would what. Like Five hundred miles. And that's what Dracula. That's what um, uh, Gary Oldman's Dracula says. He says, "I have yeah. walked across an, a sea of time to find you." I mean, it's a little different, but it feels like this guy just watched Dracula and was like, "Ah, oh, shit, that's a good line." A small part of me wanted to run away, screaming. I was so afraid my legs wouldn't even move. Though, the finality. The longing of what it said was incomprehensibly dreary. I totally lost my nerve. The moment, and that moment, another thing even less expected happened. The shadow receded from the window, covering Jose's face with silver, well, with the silver dim kiss of the moonlight. Sullen footsteps lurched across our yard and vanished to a backdrop of crickets. After a while, we were alone. All three of us looked down at Jose and relieved 
and a relieved smile spread across her face. His face. She wasn't. He wasn't crying anymore. I'm sorry. So the monster was a <laughs> good guy all along. I don't fucking know, man. No, it wasn't because it ate all those people. But well, then but it was. It was. It, it, then it was just a hope. People. It was just a hopeless romantic in the end, and he was like, "I've walked across the dark to find you." I. It was. It killed those people, but it only in. Uh, well, it's in just like Dracula, to, right? It's, over in an S. Uh, in an effort. This is to just make Dracula. Her understand her own internal. This pain. is just Dracula. Oh my god. Because in Dracula, it you know the creature it it. it uh, oh my God! This is just Dracula. It he separates. Can't come in unless yeah, he's... it separate. Well, uh, yeah, and but in the in the story of Dracula, the, the creature Dracula separates the guy from the girl that he's trying to get at, right? And he brings him to his to his castle and he tortures him there. He tries to break him, and then eventually the creature makes it to the place where they live, and it tries to get to the to the um to the girl there and then it has a line where it said talks about walking across thousands of years or whatever to try to get to her and then it's destroyed in the end and the girl's like i understood it's okay i forgive you kind of thing <laughs> it's very similar um it's been several days since the imposter left it returned once only to sing the uh morose lullaby so me i do i'm a naked so me i do i'm a little naked so <laughs> Me, I do. I'm a little naked. <laughs> uh, Mason slept through it entirely. I didn't mention it to him. My fiance slash co-host has been sleeping well since that night. He hasn't talked at all and certainly hasn't slept walked. In fact, he hasn't even really been tossing and turning like he normally does. He it's as if a like dreadful a corpse. He's de- oh my god, he's dead. <laughs> it's as if a dreadful weight ha- was lifted from his shoulders. During the days he cries, he cuddles with me and talks about his childhood. He skypes with his mom and sister. They cry too. I have shed many <laughs> I have shed many tears with him and for his loss, but I understand now what he did. Jose Is he gonna explain it? Because it was pretty fucking dumb. <laughs> Mason never dreamed of Christopher, only the number five. As a child, he repressed the memory and pain of his death and thus forgot about him. That number became the lockbox in which he was hidden. It was the coffin he buried him in. And he buried him so deep within himself, he couldn't even remember him in his nightmares. <laughs> that is why the entity never fully understood what he was hiding. And that is why it never gained full access to her, to him. Uh, Mason's lifelong sleep disturbances were his mind's attempts at keeping the welling pain refused. Repressed. What? If you speak long enough into the void, someone is bound to start listening. Someone or something. Well, hold on, Mason's you missed a pain. line there. Of uh, he invited yes, dark yes, attention yes. to himself um, by talking yes. in his sleep. Uh, yeah. Right, uh, but by talking in her sleep, she he invited dark attention to himself. If you speak long enough into the void, someone is bound to start listening. Someone no, or a, something. It's a void. So it's no, a void. But, so no. Uh, heard someone or something heard Mason's pain and saw it as a weakness. It saw those cracks in his heart as a passage into his soul, and so it chose him. The imposter became transfixed with my fiancé slash co-host, not because he was an easy target, but because he was a monolithic puzzle box of torment, a challenge, 
a worthy opponent. I honestly do want a monolithic puzzle box of torment on my on my gravestone. That's pretty good, right? It's a pretty good gravestone, yeah. Uh, I remarked early on in these stories that one of the things I love most about Mason is his intelligence. He has an artistic Ooh. creativity that allows him to see things in ways I do not. He realized that the imposter is sus. Knew it could suck on her puppet strings. I had to get one more in. By delving into the darkest parts of his mind, in all those hidden places, there were weapons to use against her. Him. To weaken him. To wear him down. But instead of burying his secrets deeper, he unearthed them and brought them into the light. By moving Christopher and the number that represented him from from his subconscious into his waking thoughts... Mason unleashed a tidal wave of forgotten pain upon her, himself, but also uh, he took away the imposter's power over him. He cut him. He cut off his own puppet strings, and now there was nothing left for the creature to grab onto, and so it left. I've okay, all... so wait, yeah, but, okay, yeah, yeah, this is confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, the monster's whole thing was it needed to find out what number five meant. Basically, what ha- because it was because number five was pain, right? Well. Basically, she had what, pain in her heart. Yes, so and, and that's what got brother. its attention, right? Because yes, it's a nosy and motherfucker. So but basically, its goal was to find that out. Right? Yeah, because it, but what it was is it was basically he saw Faye, and then there was this mystery there, and he was like, "I fucking want to know what this is." It was is. like, "Why are he you was just, so sad?" He was just so intrigued by what this hidden sadness and like, around the number five was, and right, so for but was years he, he trying her. to take her to hell. Well, yeah, but that in that in the was process, was he trying to but, take her body? Yes, be, like, because in the process of doing that, he would finally have that answer. So he wanted to possess her because of the pain not, or whatever. But he didn't want to. He just wanted to possess her. Sorry, sorry, and, sorry, and sorry, sorry, steal sorry. her soul more just to find out the answer to the question. No, sorry. Then he wanted. He needed her soul. to find the answer to the, the to the question uh, to get her soul. So the only reason he was obsessed with her for so many years was because like he said, he saw he her as an actual challenge and he was like, ah, oh, fuck. Like I can't get this last bit. I need to crack this girl. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. But then we, to- but then we told the monster. The right. And then it was just like needed. Oh, to, to take yeah, right. It should have still wanted to take her, but I guess it's still, it was just like, Oh, well that's not nearly it as interesting like as I thought. Their answer so. was the answer was let's tell him the thing he needs to take my soul. And when they did that, he was like, cool. And See, then yep. just left. Yeah. That's why I'm saying he was more interested in getting that answer I than guess. he was about possessing her. I guess her. he was, yeah. All he, like, literally, he murdered six people. Yep. All in the effort of yep. Yep. just learning what five <laughs> meant to this woman. Yep. Cool. I've also shed tears for my dear friends, T-Way and Nathan. Perhaps I can never convey the warmth of their personalities and the, and the sincerity of their hearts, but I trusted them entirely and do not believe they had anything to do with the foul thing that stalked my fiancé for all these years. Their deaths are immortal wounds on my heart, and I will always carry the agony of their loss. I want it to hurt as a permanent reminder. They have given so much to me and asked nothing in return, only that I preserve the goodness of their people in my memory." By writing about their altruism and sacrifices, I am trying to fulfill that promise. May their spirits live on in the sacred land they protected. We may never know for sure who built the dream catcher at the cabin, or the one in the trees outside my old home. Right now, I believe that they were built by different people who live on Pike's Peak. Some of them wanted to protect fools like me who venture into that mountain without understanding its significance to the Indians living there. 
Others perhaps wished to harm them. Maybe even Angela herself built one for us. Maybe you can't tell the person they're designed to protect or else it doesn't work. Faye's ring, Mason's ring, has also been the topic of heated debate, whether or not it is cursed, uh, what should be done with it, etc. For now, my uh, fiancé slash co-host does not wish to part with it, but he might consider it if anything happens again. It is still a precious family heirloom and the symbol of my devotion. Whatever taint <laughs> it may carry, <laughs> I guess what I mean is we still don't have all the answers, and the unfortunate thing is that we may never. The true nature of the entity and a full explanation of what happened to us might remain a mystery, but in time, I believe I will come to understand more about this terrible ordeal. We plan to head back to Colorado in a few weeks to spend time with Mason's parents, to pay our deepest respects to T-Way and Nathan's community, and to witness the bulldozing of the cabin. Whatever secrets it still hides, let them be buried beneath the rubble and the snow of decades to come. I don't think the cabin had anything to do with it. The cabin, it was the woods around the cabin. The cabin had yeah. nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, here, the, somebody wrote this comment. They said, have you considered that the entity may have been Christopher? Hear me out. He died while it, whilst in his mother's womb. Perhaps if Laura had visited the cabin while she was pregnant, it could have injured her baby, and thus he died. Nathan says it steals the essence of one's being and kidnaps it away for itself until... Nope, I don't think so. Well, Well, I guess... Uh, well, then they say, what if it took interest in Faye from childhood because it recognized her as its family? What if when years came later, it tried to unearth the secret in Faye, not because it wanted control, but because it wanted her to remember him. It, uh, it want, remember, remember it, him, Christopher, I walked a thousand years across the dark to find you. What if Christopher was looking for his family through the binds of the spiritual torment his soul has endured and all it wanted was to be remembered? Uh, actually that is, that's pretty, yeah. I don't know. Um, no. <laughs> well, okay, I get, but I don't think it can unless it got the fetus. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, well, that's. I guess the, he did have. Who didn't someone have a dream about stealing a fetus? Yes, yes. I bet that's probably it. Mm, maybe. I don't know. What do you think of it in the end? Now that we've read the entire story. <laughs> I feel like it's not over. I feel like there's going to be oh, more right. added to Definitely this for sure. The fact, well, and, and I bet you that's probably what happened in the book. But the fact mm. that he says, who knows what's going to happen with the ring? Maybe it'll cause something again. I'm like, oh, maybe, so, you're, so it's something maybe else. Maybe depending happening. on, maybe my agent said, depending on the sales of this book, a second book. <laughs> maybe there's be. a follow up and another Native American legend yeah. comes Maybe afterwards. the more books you that are bought, the better chances we find out this mystery. Right. I don't know. Um, um, but it was, I got weird and he didn't end it great. No, I'm gonna it's, be it's, it's interesting because like the park sequence, right. Got me excited. Cause I was like, Oh, there's going to be like a physical showdown beat between that monster to between, death. Yeah. Beat the monster to death. And then it's just like, Oh yeah, that was weird too, because that's one of the, that would be a real scene that pisses me off in a movie too, Yeah, where he chases the monster out into a field and then the monster turns talks to him, steps over him, and goes back to the house. Yeah. And it'd be like, why didn't we just do this at the house? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, I mean, it just, it was, I, then again, I also feel it's a little bit like Lost, where like, yeah. ah, there probably wasn't really an ending that was going to satisfy, you know what I mean? Right. It, 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 the mystery was the point of this, so answering it was bound to be a, a letdown at some point. Right. You know? Yeah. But. Well, everybody, uh, thank you for coming on along uh, this journey 
with us. We're, we uh, we probably have split this into two parts at this point. So this is the end of the second part. Um, thank you for listening. And we hope you guys uh, enjoyed this reading of My Romantic Cabin Getaway by Mr. F Felix Blackwell. Go check out his book well, that expands when... more into this. It's called, um, what did I say? Stolen Tongues is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, so go check and it out. We made fun of this a bit, but honestly... I mean, he did a bunch of, he just did a bunch, he wrote a fucking novel for free. Right. And that's super cool. So, so yeah. good job, Felix. Yeah. That's super great. Yeah. We're sorry. We shouldn't have made, we're, we're sorry if it's we all, were too mean, but right. we, it, we appreciate yeah, what's It's also all in, in, in good fun. We don't actually are yes, attacking is, the character of this man. You know? No, this was, it was um, well, it was incredibly well written, especially for something on the internet like this. Right. It was very well done. It was super cool. Um, Thank you for spending all that if time. If you liked and, this one, guys. It. Uh, if you like this one, uh, recommend more creepypastas for us to read in the future. Uh, we'll, we'll have to make sure that they're shorter ones. Um, but go yeah. ahead and write into captainslogcast at gmail.com to do that or on our social media where you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as captainslogpod. But anyway, that's the end of this bonus episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next week for a main episode. Uh, a main series episode. So, um, yeah, thank you everybody. Yay. And, uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.